from Swarthmore College. From Swarthmore College, this is... This is... This is... This is War News Radio. I think Afghanistan, the history of Afghanistan often gets reduced to the past 20 years since the United States went in after 9-11. And that's certainly not, first of all, not the entirety. There's There's a long history of Afghanistan prior to that. Hi, I'm Ethan Pintar, and that was Amy Caput, Professor of Peace and Conflict Studies at Swarthmore College. She's one of two experts we had the fortune of interviewing on the history of Afghanistan. The other is Tom Barfield. Afghanistan has been a state since 1747. That's pretty long. Tom Barfield is a professor of anthropology at Boston University and also an expert on Afghan history. These two professors will explain in detail the history of Afghanistan from the formation of the modern state to the present day with an emphasis on the conflict in Afghanistan. It's the oldest state in the region other than Iran. Um, And yet at times it's had no government. It's fallen apart. Yet the country has never fallen apart because there's not a single ethnic group in Afghanistan that has ever said, we want to be independent, we want to have our own country. We always assume, looking at the Balkans, that whenever you have an ethnic group, it's got national aspirations, that it must have its own state. Afghans don't operate that way. It's, uh, they've always lived in a multi-ethnic society. And what they're jockeying for is a dominance in a multi-ethnic society, not exclusivity. In this environment of intense internal competition, Afghanistan has a long history of instability. It turns out, since the last ruler of Afghanistan to die peacefully in bed while still ruling the country was in 1901, it was Amir Abdurrahman. Every ruler since 1901 has ended up dead or in exile, with the exception of Hamid Karzai. And unfortunately, Afghanistan has tended to experience governments that were either radically left uh, the PDPA, People's Democratic Party of Afghanistan, or like the Taliban, extremely religious right. And most of the Afghan people really had no interest in either of their ideologies. They were considered too extreme. And what happens is that Afghan elites in general, if they've got a foreign backer, feel, well, as long as the foreign backer is here, maybe we can impose what we're, the type of state that we would like to create. And what that means is they don't try to sell their programs. It's not that people are opposed to change or anything, but you've actually kind of, you got to go out and sort of convince people that this might be a good idea. Afghanistan has, tends to experience instability at, at the top um, because it's not so much as a tough country to rule as, as their rulers tend to overreach themselves. One example of this overreach, whose effects are still felt today, was the Sour Revolution of 1978. All hell broke loose when, when the Afghan communists took power in 1978. And that really began, you know, they began killing all of their political enemies. It was very bloody. Uh, that was a year of revolution. Immediately after the takeover, the um, party that took over started implementing um, very, very rapid social change, um, land reform, reforms to kind of 
family dynamics and family codes, um, as well as like brutally repressing any opposition, which led to even more upheaval in Afghanistan and um, the an additional kind of revolts against the the newly taken over Afghan government. Um, and the Afghan government started kind of trying asking the Soviets to help back it up. So by December 1979, the Soviet Union came into Afghanistan, and that was the start of a 10-year occupation, which, um, which prompted, which, which was very violent, prompted massive refugee flows. So the Afghan communists felt the country needed to modernize a lot more. The Russians actually told them to slow it down, um, you know, because they said, hey, this country won't be ready for socialism for a century. And the Afghan communists said, you're insulting us. You know, we can do it. You did it in Central Asia. Um, and the Soviets said, we well, don't have to repeat every mistake we made. You know, it's like, yeah, Stalin did it. And Stalin had the Red Army. You don't. The communist regime faced difficulties as it sought to consolidate its grip on power. And the PDPA faced a counter-revolution for over a decade. So the Soviets withdrew in um, 1989, um, and they, sorry, 1988, and um, they, the, at the time, and, and so throughout the Soviet occupation, there had been a kind of an Afghan government, a communist-led Afghan government in place, and it continued to stay in place. Um, after the Soviets left, but but was a very, very weak government and basically didn't really govern much of Afghanistan at all. Um, and what happened was the, um, so the the UN got involved trying to broker a um, an Afghan kind of a transitional government. As the communists saw their authority crumble, the forces of reaction began to exert themselves. Pakistan threw their weight behind the Taliban and so this was in 1994, and the Taliban it, from 1994 rapidly started taking over, um, taking over, starting the southern Afghanistan, and then kind of moving east towards Herat. And by 1996, had um, was on the step, doorsteps of Kabul. The reason that the Taliban gained support so quickly in the 1990s was because Afghanistan had already been at war for, you know, 15 or so years. And people were tired of war. They proved unable to govern, but nobody cared about Afghanistan because once the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, the American government lost all interest in this. They said, we'll never be back. Why, sh why should we worry about what happens there? And Islamic terrorists moved in, sort of allies to the Taliban, uh, like Osama bin Laden. And then 9-11 happens. And then suddenly it was, so where is Afghanistan? Oh, who are these people? Um, and Mullah Omar said, great, let them come like the Soviets came. You know, we defeated the Soviets, we'll defeat these guys. Ten weeks later, Mullah Omar is gone on a motorcycle wondering what the hell happened. They, they got Pakistan to kind of withdraw some of their support from the Taliban, and the Taliban kind of melted away very, very quickly. Um, and then we got that we get to the past 20 years of, of U.S. occupation as the U.S. started to step into like this situation that it knew nothing about. Um, and that was part of what fueled that, along with like Pakistan's support for the Taliban, was what fueled the Taliban's resurgence. So 
2001, Taliban was no longer in control. By 2006, um, and this Taliban insurgency had started to form. Um, and basically from 2006 to, to, to you know, to 2020, the Taliban gained more and more power. President Trump decided he wanted to pull out. Um, his vehicle for pulling out um, was to start negotiations with the Taliban. And um, what happened was that those negotiations completely sidelined the Afghan government. The U.S. negotiations with the Taliban weakened the legitimacy of the Afghan government and legitimized the Taliban. So those initial cities fell very quickly. And when the, the fighters in the soldiers in the cities that fell later saw what had happened in the earlier cities, um, I think that like we can't underestimate this kind of psychological effect of seeing those early cities fall and seeing the lack of backup to the Afghan National Army um, to help explain why we saw this in July, late July and early August. It's just a very fast cascade of cities falling to the Taliban. However, the Taliban have quickly realized how much the country had been dependent on U.S. support, and the new government has already been beset with a multitude of problems. The Taliban won really quickly because not because they beat the old government. The old government collapsed. So they're in power much quicker than they thought, and governing Afghanistan to some extent is harder than leading an insurgency against it. Um, they've got food problems, they've got money problems, um, and we'll see what happens. Is, do they have the capacity to even minimally govern the country? They didn't the last time in the 90s. The Taliban coming back are not coming back to the Afghanistan they left. So that, that creates sort of an interesting question. 75% of Afghanistan's population is under 25, right? For the vast majority of people, the Taliban are boogeymen they heard about from their fathers and grandfathers. If you've got a population that's that young and they feel their future has been ruined, they don't have a lot to lose, that's a harder population to kind of repress. Sadly for Afghanistan and its future, one conflict has been replaced by yet another. The terrorist group ISK has increased its presence in Afghanistan, the economy has all but collapsed, and millions of people face starvation in the embattled country. The crisis endures into the foreseeable future as a young generation of Afghans comes of age in an environment of repression and conflict.